everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Everybody, you can have a seat. Thank you for joining joining us. I am glad you're here, and if you're engaging online, hello to you. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And every day I drive to the church building, I drive by a sign. And I've been wanting to show this sign in church for four years, and I've just been waiting for the opportunity, and the opportunity has come. Have you guys seen this one? It's by uh, the Shellmeyer School, the sixth grade center. Caution, no signs, says the sign. The sign lacks self-awareness. Don't be like this sign. This sign doesn't know who it is or what it is, what it's feeling, what's going on inside, It has no idea about its identity. And besides that, it's actually got a very close-by neighbor, another sign. I don't think this sign has good social awareness either. Uh, I don't think that these signs are listening to each other, even though they're part of the same family tree. I mean, they're part of the same, they're they're attached to the same tree. That's That's what I'm saying. And so today, we are going to be talking about how to live in community with tensions, how to have hard conversations, and these hard conversations can be around topics such as race or politics, and they will be hard conversations because uh, we live in a community that follows Jesus that actually has different viewpoints and sometimes values on these topics. But this conversation has implications for really all of relationships. And if you're married, the idea of having hard conversations with your spouse is a very, very, very common occurrence. And nothing to be scared of, the research says that healthy, happy couples have the same amount of conflict as the unhappy couples. Did you catch that? Happy couples have the same amount of conflict. They just engage in that conflict differently. And so we'll be looking at the Bible passage. You guys know this one? Speak the truth in love. But we'll be looking at the context, or in other words, the verses around this passage to try to dig down into what it means and what it takes to actually speak the truth in love. I think it's one of the hardest things we do as humans, and we are doing this inside of our series called Deeply Formed. We've been reading this book together called The Deeply Formed Life. I have at least one copy left, so after the service, if you'd like one, you can have this one. But uh, I'm just going to read a short passage here uh, to get us started before we jump into Ephesians 4. For centuries, people have extolled the virtue of self-examination. Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. St. Augustine wrote, O God, let me know myself. 
and let me know you. And Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and guys, if, if we don't have self-awareness, if we don't do the hard work of self-examination, if we don't actually know what's going on beneath the surface, you will not just wreck yourself you're going to create a wake, you know, like a boat goes through water and creates a wake of ripple effects. You're going to wreck the people that you love the most. And this is really important because did you know the things that are most important in life can't be bought? The things that will make you happy can't be bought. And it is relationships that can never be transactional if you truly want them to be meaningful. And so learning to Speak the truth in love is going to be a daily habit. And the way we deal with anxiety and conflict, and uh, in particular the unhealthy ways that we try to deal with anxiety and conflict, will create wreckage, even if we don't see it. Okay? So let's read Ephesians 4, where... We'll get to, very shortly, that little phrase, speak the truth in love. We'll start in verse 1. Now, let's start in verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit Binding yourselves together with peace. Remember how I said this was going to take hard? This, speaking the truth in love, is going to take effort. And it says united in the spirit. If you have your Bible, I think it probably says it on there too. Is that a capital S there? Capital S means that we're actually talking about the Holy Spirit. We're saying that the, the commitment that we have to each other has a supernatural dimension our ability to actually show up in love when we're having these conversations is an act of grace that I think God can bestow on any of us and any person if we ask for it. So make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and through all. You guys think unity and commitment to each other is an important part of this conversation? If you are counting, the word one comes up seven times there. Now, I want you to listen for and count on your fingers, if you have enough of them, the references that Paul makes to growing or maturity, or um, being like built up into someone who is like Jesus. In other words, we're talking about like spiritual and emotional growth. It's what it takes to speak the truth in love. So just count on your fingers with me. We'll start up again at verse 12. Uh, the leaders your responsibility. We're talking about pastors and teachers and evangelists here, uh, apostles, prophets. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, 
the body of Christ. The metaphor there is that the church is actually like a body. It's, it's got distinct gifting, but it's all one. It's not just a commitment, but like, you know, you're like knitted to your arm. Like it's, it's, not, it's not on the table to actually sever off your arm unless things are really, 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 really bad. You, you want to like keep your extremities, okay, intact. Uh, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard, or perhaps stature is one way to translate that Greek word uh, where, in which it was originally written, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Christ, that is Jesus. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, here it is, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing. Was anybody counting? Four. It's, it's a theme. It comes up, I, I think, like five or six times. But if uh, it depends on how you count, I guess. Counting is not an exact science. I don't know. Um, but anyway, the... <laughs> sorry. The idea here is that in talking about speaking truth and love, the, the personal growth, the personal maturity, the personal awareness is really, really important. And so when you're having hard conversations, at least I think half of the equation is knowing what's going on inside of you and having a commitment to your own personal growth and maturity and temperament and and it's, it sounds really good and easy to be humble and gentle and to make allowances for each other's faults until you're in the moment and your fists start to clench and your heart starts to race and your brain shuts off. Am I right about this? Uh, read the book. It's a good one, okay? We'll read this one too. But oh, here, let's actually, let's actually read the book here. Uh, here, as we say at New Life, which is where this guy pastors, Jesus might live in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. By this we mean that all of us have inherited positive legacies as well as negative ones. We have our share of negative legacies that also get repeated, whether those legacies are related to work, alcoholism, conflict avoidance, or an inability to have committed relationships. Patterns get repeated. There's actually a passage in Exodus where it says the sins of the father get passed down to the third and fourth generation. And you can read that in two ways, like God is punishing people for things they didn't do, or you could read it through this lens of like, yeah, actually, the, the things that your grandpa did to your dad got passed down to you, and unless you work really hard, unless you make every effort to invite Jesus to heal those places where your like, sort of autopilot negative reactions kick in, you're going to repeat those things. The sins of the father and mother, okay, get passed on through the fourth and second, third, third and fourth generation. 
Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. What further complicates these patterns is the reality of our surroundings, including our ethnic cultures, the larger cultural moment we live in, and our religious environments. I bet you've been wondering what's under here. People are like onions. In order to speak the truth in love, we have to come to this awareness. In other words, people stink. And uh, I cut into this onion hoping that the aroma <laughs> begins to fill the room. But it's a big room. You might not even notice. But if, uh, if you want to, my hands will stink for the rest of the day. People are like onions. And it is true that they can stink. And uh, like onions, sometimes the people who stink aren't aware that they smell bad, uh, just as the people who are not self-aware are actually creating like a path of hurt and pain, even though they're not aware of the hurt and pain that they're causing. But the other thing about onions, of course, is that they have layers. You guys have watched Shrek. Thank you very much. Um, the outer layer is a protective layer. It's the layer, it's the protective layer you notice the most. And uh, it kind of, it kind of, it's a self-preservation tactic. It keeps the inside of the onion alive. But it's actually, it's, did you know this? It's dead. This outer protective layer is dead. And many of us live with outer protective layers. And the longer we go without admitting and dealing with the protective layers or mechanisms, the, actually, the thicker they get. But after you, uh, if, if you, say, perhaps, have, like, this amazing Jesus experience where you have, like, a repentance, like you say, oh, I'm turning my life over to Jesus, and I realize I've got these problems, I'm a sinner, I need help, you can get through that outer layer, but you know that each layer of the onion has another protective layer, and uh, if, you, if you don't keep on the journey of transformation, it'll actually die in an act of self-preservation and create a, a barrier between you and the ones you love. And this can, uh, this can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. Uh, one of those ways is simply like, you know, shutting down, like distancing. But uh, the protective layer can be more aggressive. You can find fruit that has uh, a protective layer of spikes, right? Like some of us, we protect ourselves by lashing out, by getting back. We're talking about the importance of self-examination when speaking the truth in love, paying attention to what's going on inside. Other defensive mechanisms that I, I personally relate to uh, and have struggled with myself is judgment. Like, when we judge others, a lot of times it's a protective layer that we set up against ourselves to, to make us feel, I don't know, morally superior, to give ourselves purpose and meaning. Uh, but, but it takes actually, if, if, you're, if you're noticing in yourself, if you pay attention to what's going on in your heart, it takes a lot of energy to fight against judgment, especially when you're having hard conversations. When you're in a conversation where not everybody agrees, it's very easy to jump to the judgment place, the place of judgment. 
As followers of Jesus, we have to pay attention to that and work hard not to live into that. So if you disagree with someone's politics, you immediately jump to the motive, right? Oh, these people are trying to destroy our country. Oh, these people are trying to ruin my life. They probably actually don't care as much about you as you think, the people that are, you know, out to, to destroy you. We, so, for instance, in our house, like, for a lot of years, our, uh, the, the setting of our thermostat was a moral issue, you know what I mean? Like, there was, there was a sense of, remember this grandpa's in your bones thing? Like, we, in my family, we set the thermostat low. And for me, that became like a moral issue. So when I got married, I realized not everybody sets the thermostat low in the, in the summer or in the winter and, the, and high in the summer, you know? Like, it's, it's a money issue, and so it's a moral issue. Did that just get real? Like, if you're talking about money, like, it, it can get hard real fast. The defense mechanisms come up. The, the, the history of your values and and beliefs, like they, they come into this protective attack mode, or maybe it's a runaway mode, or maybe it's just passive aggressive. Maybe you just click it up, and then your spouse comes in, and they click it down, and you click it back up. And have you, Does this happen to anyone else? Right? So the idea that the protective layers, the things we need to be aware of and notice is judgment, defensiveness, criticism. Some, some of us shut down. Some of us lash out. Some of us shut down, and then we lash out. Have you guys noticed that it seems like COVID has made this even a little more, uh, more acute because like the littlest little poke, the littlest little prick, the littlest little inconvenience will set us off. That's because there's something going on beneath the surface, okay? The other word that, if that's, I don't know if it's up on the screen or not. Oh, it is. Triangulation, also known as gossip, is when you have a beef with someone and you go talk to other people about it. Or somebody offends you personally and you go and post on Facebook about it. Maybe you don't mention their name, but it's like this idea of I'm going to deal with my anxiety by pushing it onto other people or into like the big group of people. Psalm 139 draws us to the idea or to the importance of doing this kind of work, of getting down into the layers of the onion. And it, it also does the really nice work of highlighting how anxiety is very, very related to or distracting from our ability to speak the truth in love. Psalm 139 says in its final verses, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This isn't the idea of like, lead me on the path to heaven when I die. This is the idea of like, lead me on the path of living your life, of letting your kingdom, as Jesus talks about it, break into my heart so that I can love more like Jesus loves people. Loving like Jesus is one of the most radical and hardest things you can do. And the more, the deeper you dig into your own heart, the deeper you get into that onion, the more aware you are of how hard it is because of the like kind of the natural ways that we've shown up in the world up to this point, right? Judgment, defensiveness, gossip, criticism, lashing out. These are like the, the natural default ways. And God is actually 
wanting us to ask him, and if you look in other places in the Bible, bring your committed community into your examination of your heart, into your ways, into your work, into your actions, and into your motives. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Jumping back to Ephesians chapter 4, you'll notice that Paul begins this whole conversation with the invitation, or you might say command, to be humble and gentle. And humility is a really tough pill to swallow for most of us. It's much harder than you or I would like to admit. Add on top of humility, repentance. So hard to repent, which can include saying, I'm sorry. But if you guys, any of you guys watch Daniel Tiger? Been watching a lot of Daniel Tiger. It's based on the old uh, um, Mr. Rogers show, but it's a cartoon. One of the songs in Daniel Tiger is saying, I'm sorry is the first step. But then, how can I help? Saying, I'm sorry is the first step. Then how can I help? Come on, sing with me. Saying, I'm sorry. Okay, if, if Christians would just listen to Daniel Tiger on this, the world would be a much better place because saying I'm sorry is the first step, but making it right, true reconciliation, like is what repentance is all about. That is hard work. Humility and repentance is the way of transformation. And so let's Let's just jump into humility a second. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul describes what love is. And one of the descriptors that he uses about love is that love is not proud. To love people actually takes a big dose of humility. And if you've you've ever been to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or if you know people who have been. Their very first step is the hardest one, I think. It is to admit that we are all powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. Well, you might be saying, I'm not an alcoholic. Except for, I would say, like we're all addicted to something, even if that something is ourself. You might be addicted to being right. You might be addicted to fun. But let me just, let me put this kind of in the frame of Ephesians 4 and Psalm 139. Admit that we are powerless over our sin and that our lives have become unmanageable. Take, just take a look back at your last week or your last month. Like, have there been moments where you've lost it? Have there been moments where a little prick or a little thing you see on Facebook or a little thing you see on the news ruins your day? Like, you haven't been able to manage your thoughts of judgment, your anger, your frustration, your anxiety. Like, the admission that we are powerless over our sin and our anxiety and our rage, whatever it is for you in particular, and saying, like, I need help. That is the way of transformation. That is the way 
of spiritual and emotional health and the spiritual and emotional growth. To admit the problem, to say, I'm not okay. And to say, like, to God and to your spouse and to your life group and to your family and to your friends, I'm not okay and I need help. This is actually what every Christian must do. And I think it's not a one-time thing. I think it's a lifelong journey. I think repentance is a daily habit. I messed up. I'm sorry. How can I make it right? So we've been talking a lot about how to speak the truth in love and, and, and illustrating how important it is to start with me, start with the inside. Notice how the onion works. Can anybody smell that? Is that getting into the room yet? Frank can smell it. I want, your, your memories are very closely associated with your, your nose. So I, I'm trying to do this so you remember to speak the truth in love. The masks are maybe helping you with this. Anyway, move, there's the move inward, but then there's like the expression outward. And I'm, I'm treating today as kind of a practicum, like here's some thoughts and maybe you jot them down and maybe you pick them up in a week or a month or in two years. But um, I'm going to go through five things pretty quickly and just make some uh, really quick remarks, and I'm going to reference some books that if you are interested in getting those titles again, if you're on the Vineyard Resource Share kind of text message thing, uh, you will get a link to them. If you want to be on it and you're not, you can fill out a Connect card on the website. But the first thing I think that is important in terms of practically working this out, in terms of having hard conversations, which by the way, anytime you're feeling a disagreement, anytime you're feeling a conflict, anytime you're angry at your spouse or upset with the government, like there's, it's probably an invitation into a hard conversation. The first thing to do is to make sure that we show love by listening. Last week, we talked about this a lot, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listening is one of the ways that we can show love. It's communicated to other people. So you, do you guys ever have this? I don't know if this is just a guy thing. I'll be listening to Alice and my wife, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I'll get distracted for a half second, and she'll, she'll feel like I wasn't listening. But that's because I'm doing, first of all, the distraction thing is kind of a problem that I have. Um, I'll get back to that. But then secondly, um, I'm not actually communicating that I'm listening. And we communicate that we're listening in primarily two ways. We ask questions out of curiosity, like good questions that show we were listening, and we repeat back what we're hearing. I'm hearing you say that you're overwhelmed. Uh, so those are just like two real quick ways to, to show people that you're listening, to show them love by saying, yeah, I'm listening. Love by listening. Number two. Affirm a commitment to unity. This, again, is based on the Ephesians 4 idea. Before Paul starts to talk about how we treat each other, or as he does this, he reminds them of the unity that they have. Um, in other words, you have to know the stakes. 
it has to feel safe. Uh, if you've read the book Critical Conversations, there's a whole chapter on making the conversation feel safe. And you can do this by reminding your spouse that I, I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you. You can do this in maybe a, a political conversation or a conversation about race by keeping respect. As soon as somebody feels disrespected, the rest of the conversation will be about that. The rest of the conversation will be the person trying to claw respect back, and it gets hostile fast. So love by listening, a firm <clears throat> commitment to unity or make things feel safe. Number three, be gentle and humble. That's where Paul starts this whole conversation about speaking the truth in love. Be gentle and humble. Dr. John and Julie Gottman have done like 30 years of research. Like they've watched married people be married, stay married, or get divorced for decades. And they've come up with all kinds of good, like research method-based principles to help people be happily married, but I think the same applies to any hard conversation. One of those principles is to have a soft startup. So if there's a hard conversation coming, to start with soft, gentle, and humble language. See if you can tell the difference. So let's just say that two people who are married are laying in bed. Um, they, they've just gotten into bed. One person is on their phone. Let's say the person is on Facebook. The other person says, you're always on your phone. You never pay attention to me. Hard, hard start or soft start? <laughs> hard start. That starts the conversation in a critical attack mode. What, happen, what does the other person say? I'm not always on my phone. What do you mean? <laughs> you know? There's another maybe less aggressive but more passive aggressive way of doing this. Hey, what are you looking at? Has this happened to anybody? Has this happened to anybody else? Example of a start, soft startup. And notice some particular language. Hey, I would really love to hang out with you. Could you give me your full attention? That feels really different. It's soft. It's about what I want. It's not about what you're doing wrong. A soft startup includes like, expressing what you're wanting or looking for but is very sensitive to what the other person's triggers might be. And that actually sets you up for a conversation where you can listen to each other. Number four, share your heart. So Paul actually does this in Ephesians 4. Uh, he does both the soft startup and the sharing of the heart. Um, sharing your heart means expressing your desires, what you want, what you're hoping for. Uh, and he does this, he, he does a soft startup by not saying, you guys are children and you're being duped by a bunch of, you know, false teachings, which he kind of implies. He starts by saying, hey, we're committed to each other, like voicing the like unity. And wouldn't it be great if we all looked more like Jesus? Like my, my, my vision, my desire for you is that you would like, Love more like Jesus. Look more like Jesus. Measure up to the stature of Jesus. And then he kind of lets uh, 
lets the people know what the dangers are if they don't. The, the purpose, the desire, the idea behind speaking the truth in love is that it keeps us from becoming like spiritual children who just get tossed back and forth, who get worked up about this and worked up about that, who believe this and then believe that. Speaking the truth in love means sharing your heart. We actually had this yesterday. We had a, a Zoom call, or somebody talked about this yesterday. We had a Zoom call where we were having you know, conversations about race and how, um, in particular, that uh, people who are white can be an ally to people of color. And one of the big things was make friends who don't look like you, who don't have the same background as you, the same experiences as you, the same politics as you. Have them over for dinner and go over to their house for dinner too. And you'll, you'll start to experience the cultural difference. But when you're there, when you're engaging with them, be willing to give voice to what you're feeling. In other words, when things get uncomfortable, stay in the discomfort, don't hit the eject button or the attack button, right? Those are like two buttons that we like to push when we start to feel uncomfortable, when somebody disagrees. I eject from this conversation or I'm going to go ballistic, <laughs> right? You're wrong. What's wrong with you? That was dumb. Don't do either of those. Stay engaged and simply say like, wow, this is, this is new and different for me. I'm not, I'm not even really sure what to do in this moment, right? I don't, I don't understand what's what's going on and so like to say like I feel awkward even asking this or I, I'm I'm a little confused like giving voice to what you're feeling is one way to share your heart finally I think this is maybe the real kicker number five make allowance for each other's faults because of your love Make room for the reality that when you do this, my friends, if you embark <clears throat> into having hard conversations like Jesus did, Jesus had a lot of hard conversations, right? It means that there are going to be times where the other person maybe doesn't react well and they go into a fight or flight or attack mode. And the question is, how will you respond? Will you demand that they are perfect, that they have gotten to the kind of core of their onion, or will you make an allowance for their faults? Will you be, another way to trans this, translate this is, will you have forbearance? Will you be tolerant? Will you accept that we're all a little messed up? We're all a little messy. We are on this journey. Will you continue to move toward them even if when you say something as soft as maybe, you know, I just, I don't see things that way. As gentle as I disagree that they come back into an attack mode. Can you take a deep breath, show them love instead of judgment? Can you stay committed? And why should we do this? Well, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, this, this make allowance for or tolerance word or forbearance word comes up again. Oops, sorry. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And 
Paul is actually responding to the the judgmental attitude that he sees in people, right? One of these defense mechanisms, one of these protective kind of attacking uh, impulses inside of us. And he's basically saying like, you don't need to judge people. God is the judge. And verse four, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, there it is, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Let me put it this way. The love of Jesus compels us to speak the truth in love. But it, it takes every effort in fact, it takes supernatural help. It takes being willing to fail and make amends and, and reconcile and, and feel uncomfortable and stay and live in commitment and work on it and try again. But it's because of the fuel of this is because that's how God has looked at us. Rather than making us pay for all of our sins, he makes space for us before we were even on the journey of transformation. Bef like, and then none of us are perfect. Like none of us are arrived yet. He chooses to bear on himself to carry the cross so that we might have relationship with him. We forgive because he first forgave us. We make allowance for others' faults because he died for ours. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the heart of God. And so I want to invite everybody to stand, and we'll be spending some time singing. But before we do that, I just invite you to like open your hands in a receptive posture if that's comfortable for you. And I'm going to invite like God's spirit to come. So come, Holy Spirit. We turn our hearts to you. We ask you to do in us what the words of Psalm 39, 139 say. Search us, O God. Show us where we are anxious. Show us where we are like off the path, where our life or our heart does not look like your life or our heart, specifically in the areas of our closest relationships, the political and racial conversations that we're having. Show us how we have been, how we have acted, what we have said, and what you're inviting us into. We need your help. Fill us with your love. And when we say the words, speak to us, God, we actually believe that God does want to communicate with us and can. And so, God, I would ask that you would speak to us now.
that during this worship set, as we like press into your presence, that we would not just experience your love, but that we would hear your voice. So come, Holy Spirit, and move among us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.